Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton is bracing for another blast of snow. The Ontario Medical Association has a plan to deal with wait times in this province. We take a look at the latest developments along the Russia-Ukraine border. We'll tell you why the Canadian travel industry is celebrating a move by the federal government. Canada's inflation rate has risen to 5.1%. And Tim Horton's parent company is warning there may be menu price hikes coming soon. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. It's raining right now, freezing rain, ice pellets, snow all on the way. And that brings us to our daily poll question on Twitter at AM900CHML is the place to go. Are you ready for the latest blast of snow from old man winter? 65% say no, 34% say yes. There's a half a percentage point on each side as well. Are you ready? Well, we're going to have to be. Hamilton expected to get slammed today by a mixed bag of weather. Rain, strong winds, freezing rain, ice pellets, heavy snow, all coming to the city. Here to break it down is Global News meteorologist Ross Hall. Ross, welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Well, considering the information that's coming in through that poll from your listeners, I'm not sure how how ready they're going to be for the information I'm about to talk to you about. (laughs) What are we looking at today? It sounds pretty bad. Yeah, this is a pretty complex system. I'm not seeing any reigning men on the computer models, but as you mentioned, (laughs) uh, a lot of different types of precipitation with this system. So we've already experienced rain across the area, and we're still seeing some rain on the radar. That is leading to some localized flooding, especially low-lying areas, hearing some basements flooded as well. So uh, not a great part of this system. It's been mild as well and breezy southwest winds. Well, that's going to start to change this afternoon. Uh, likely around 3, 4 o'clock, we're going to start to see a changeover to some freezing rain. That freezing rain will start sooner around the mountain, higher terrain, and then a big transition over to some snow. And I think that will start to happen depending on how long the freezing rain and ice pellets stick around, but likely 8, 9, 10 o'clock. And then we start to see heavy snow move in and a period of about five to six hours of very heavy snow. And it will ease by early Friday morning. Did you catch all of that? Yeah, that's that's a lot to grab. (laughs) This is, as you mentioned, a complex kind of system. Uh, Where is it coming from? How did this develop? Well, this system is developing over the U.S. plains over Texas. So right now we're experiencing one wave of it. And if uh, you like looking at radar, what we look at after this wave is you look upstream or you look uh, towards the, the Ohio Valley and through the U.S. And there's another blob of precipitation, and that's the moisture that's going to start to move in uh, by this afternoon and this evening. And it's also along a frontal boundary, a cold front. So as Arctic air rushes in, uh, that's why we're going to start to see the temperature change, and it's going to just turn into a mess. And I also didn't mention the blowing snow that's going to be accompanying this when the, when the snow gets heavy. So I think the lesson here is if you don't have to be out on the roads, say, after 2, 3 o'clock, uh, you know, don't, don't do it because it's going to start to get even worse by tonight. The good news is by, you know, tomorrow morning, by the morning commute, by the time most of us wake up, uh, the heaviest snow will be out. It's just going to be having to clean up that snow. Uh, we're chatting with a Ross Hall, meteorologist with Global News, about the uh, impending snowstorm that's going to be coming at us. It's also going to throw in some freezing rain and ice pellets as well. When I was looking at the radar earlier this morning, the band of rain is much larger than the cluster of snow that the system is kind of dragging along. But the snowstorm part of this, if you will, has really grown in size as this system has traversed across the eastern U.S.'s 
Is the snow kind of eating into the rain portion? Is it gaining some momentum from the bulk of rain that it's uh, bringing along? Well, what we have here is we have a couple of dynamics. So basically, it's all driven by temperatures, and it's all driven by uh, basically the differences between you know Arctic air and mild air. And right now, we are in the mild sector of this low pressure system. Uh, but then, what's going to happen is upper level dynamics. You know, there's so many things that come into play when you're looking at a forecast, and uh, we've got strong upper level dynamics for this as well that will help the precipitation intensify. Uh, and as that system moves along, think of it moving along a track, well, it's going to encounter colder air that's moving in from the north, and that combination, that clashing of the air masses, a lot of moisture being streamed in uh, from the Gulf of Mexico. So this system is tapping into that moisture source, and all of those things coming together, and, you know, you're never ready for it. I know uh, a lot of your listeners are saying they're not, but that's that's often the story in southern Ontario when it comes to big storms. We depend on Arctic air being at play and also a moisture source and upper-level dynamics and the right things going on there. So those, those are all coming together for, if you will, the perfect storm here with uh, messy conditions and heavy snow. Well, it's February. It is Canada, and we'll be ready uh, whether or not uh, it's as big or, or not. Uh, we'll have our shovels and our snowblowers uh, ready to go. Ross, thank you for the time today, and good luck uh, traversing through this mess that we're about to get. Yeah, I should also mention it's going to be likely about 15 to 20 centimeters of snow for Hamilton. Uh, locally, could be a little bit more. So, yeah, be ready for it and be safe out there. Thanks, Rick. Going out on a high note. Thanks, Ross. Ross Hall, meteorologist, Global News. Uh, as he mentioned, uh, rain right now um, at around 3, 4 o'clock, freezing rain. The snow will start in at around 8, 9, 10, intensify over the overnight hours, about 5 to 6 hours worth of snow. So about... 4 a.m.-ish, it uh, will likely stop snowing or at least greatly subside. And then the fun begins in trying to dig out from the latest blast. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Wait times for hospitals have long plagued Canadians, as we know. And now the Ontario Medical Association has a solution to deal with wait times in this province. Dr. Adam Kassim is the president of the Ontario Medical Association and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Dr. Kassim. Good morning, Rick. Tell us about the OMA's proposal to cut down on these wait times and get more and more people in front of physicians. So, Rick, the pandemic, unfortunately, has created a backlog of nearly 20 million healthcare services that include preventative, primary, and mental health care. It includes cancer screenings like colonoscopies and mammograms. It also includes things like MRI scans, CT scans, and surgeries and procedures. And as you were describing, Rick, uh, wait times were a problem before the pandemic and unfortunately have been exacerbated by the pandemic. And working through this backlog is a top priority for the profession. It's why we at the OMA are proposing an innovative new model of care. And so this new model of care would be a collaborative approach that would include the creation of what we are calling Integrated Ambulatory Centers, or IECs. So essentially, Rick, these centers would work in partnership with local hospitals to provide publicly funded OHIP-insured surgeries and procedures on a same-day basis. And what we really need is a system that can separate the surgeries and procedures that can be done safely in outpatient facilities, and I'll go through a couple of those right now, from hospitals that can then ultimately focus on more complex acute care and emergencies. And the reason why we're proposing this is that we want to help offload hospitals. We're seeing and we have seen what has happened over the past uh, 20 months with uh, with, uh, with COVID and, and certainly more recently with Omicron in terms of our ability to, to absorb capacity needs. And so if we can try and offload hospitals with 
try to bring some of those procedures and surgeries out of the hospital, putting them into these integrated facilities, we believe that might help. So, for example, eye surgeries like cataracts could be examples of, of procedures. Ear, nose, and throat surgeries, same-day joint replacements, minimally invasive general and gynecologic surgeries, as well as endoscopies, would be potentially delivered in these new settings. So would these integrated ambulatory centers be standalone facilities away from hospitals? Well, so the geographic uh, distance between them and a hospital would be, you know, determined by those partnerships. But uh, they could be potentially attached. They could be, you know, across the street. They could be, you know, down the road. And so they would technically be, you know, physically different in terms of where they're located. But they would have relationships and partnerships with the local hospital so that they could share staff, they could share resources, and that there could be sort of this uh, this more streamlined delivery of care in these environments. Now, I'm guessing these uh, centers can't be erected overnight. Um, how long is this going to take? And, you know, what kind of impact is it going to have immediately on these wait times? Yeah, so that's a really good question, Rick. And, and we know that this, this would take time. Right? And it's why our proposal is structured in phases. And so the first phase, which would take us for the next, over the next one or two years, would be focused on leveraging existing infrastructure. We know it takes, th- it takes time to build things. And so extending operating room time and supporting healthcare workers through funding and other supports by using, for example, existing uh, operating rooms in hospitals, let's say, for example, at times that they would not otherwise be used would be helpful to in order in order to help us scale and level up our capacity immediately. We know people are waiting. We know that wait times need to be uh, chipped away at immediately. And so this is why uh, we, we, we are recommending that the leveraging of existing technology over the next 24 months, uh, sorry, leveraging the next, uh, leveraging the infrastructure over the next 24 months is going to be crucial. We would then follow this by phases of, that would include things like formal, formal memoranda of understandings, exploration of partnerships, and ultimately legislations that would take uh, the next three to five years. Dr. Adam Kassim is the president of the Ontario Medical Association. He's our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're chatting about the OMA's solution to deal with wait times in this province. What annual dollar figure do you have in mind that is going to be needed to make this plan work? So we don't have, we haven't costed this plan fully. I mean, really, the reason why is that it would really depend on the partnership, the relationship, and of course, then the health human resource labor costs that could be individualized based on uh, the organization, the hospital network, and perhaps even the Ontario hospital, uh, Ontario health teams that are currently being rolled out right across the province. And so what we have found, however, Rick, is that experience in other provinces and other jurisdictions, namely in, the, in Western Europe and the United States, have shown that ambulatory centers have faster recovery times, lower infection rates, and efficiency gains ranging from 20 to 30 percent compared with inpatient hospital care. And so when you start to think about how can we get through this massive backlog any efficiency and any streamlining actually helps quite tremendously, and more, and more importantly, it helps to deliver care uh, in a more timely way to the patients that need it. We've got about a minute. Would these centers fall under the public health care umbrella, or would there be some openings for private entities to get involved? Yes, yeah, so Rick, this proposal fully complies with the Canada Health Act, and there would be no sort of user fees or queue jumping or anything like that. Uh, you know, we, we understand that right now uh, we want to be able to deliver the highest quality care uh, to the people who are frankly waiting for it. And so this proposal would be in conjunction with a number of other proposals that we've made in the past, but more importantly, would work with the hospital sector and would also work with the health human resource sector, which uh, in many ways, at least over the past 20 months, because of burnout, because of attrition in the fields, and because of a variety of other factors, 
typically is our rate limiting step, both uh, in terms of procedural and surgical care, but also other types of care. And so broadly speaking, this would be sort of a collaborative approach between all uh, all healthcare institutions. And right, the last thing I'd add is, you know, we're calling on both the provincial and federal government to um, to collaborate in terms of funding and their approach for uh, for the future. Any response from either uh, level of government? So we've had very robust conversations at a provincial level with all uh, levels, with all political parties. This isn't a partisan affair that we're undertaking. This is really trying to get politics out of the conversation of healthcare so that we can focus on delivering care uh, to Canadians now and, and, and for future generations. Dr. Kassam, appreciate the time. Good luck with this plan. Thank you, Rick. Dr. Adam Kassam, president of the Ontario Medical Association. They have a solution to deal with wait times in this province, setting up these integrated ambulatory centers, getting a lot of the procedures that are uh, m- many people are waiting for out of the hospital uh, system into these uh, standalone centers. Will it work? Well, we shall see, I guess, in the uh, years to come. It's not going to happen overnight, that is for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. United States accusing Russia of adding more troops along the Russia-Ukrainian border. That is uh, adding to the tensions, not only in Ukraine, but for many Ukrainian Canadians uh, here and uh, others around the world. And this is all coming in contradiction to what Russia has declared, what the Kremlin has said, that they're pulling back some of their military units. So who to believe? What is actually happening? Christian Luprecht is the professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Christian. Yeah, good morning. What do you make of these latest developments? Yeah, so look, I think uh, the situation is, uh, is, is remains challenging and difficult. And uh, we see, I think, the classic tactics of escalating to de-escalate. So we have about 150,000 or so troops, uh, Russian troops near the Ukrainian border, uh, obviously sparking fears of an imminent attack. Are we on the cusp of military warfare? Yeah, so I think that's a good question. I mean, the West has tried, so Putin has two objectives here, right? So he's trying to reassert what he believes is Russia's right sphere of influence. Um, And Ukraine is the grand prize in that. He's already managed to do this in Belarus, in many of the stands, including Kyrgyzstan, Armenia, parts of Moldova. Uh, But ultimately, this has always been a struggle for who controls Ukraine. The other is that he's trying to redo the European security architecture. And that means trying to push back uh, America or push America even out of Europe when he sees the US in a time of weakness. And that means basically completely disregarding the sovereignty of European states. He believes that this is a competition among great powers between Russia and the US. And so essentially, this is why he abrogates any right of small states or even states such as Ukraine to make sovereign chases for themselves. And so the West has pushed back with a diplomatic effort to convince Putin that he's going to achieve more if he negotiates. But there's also the military effort to deter and contain Russia. And that means also not just showing Russia that it's going to be hard, but it's going to be painful and it's going to achieve the opposite of what Russia wants. So more uh, NATO and American troops at its frontier, maybe a a guerrilla war. It's going to be a real struggle in Ukraine. But the key here is the struggle means that there's going to be Russian soldiers and many of them coming back in body bags. And Putin knows that If he has hundreds or thousands of Russian mothers in the streets because their sons are coming back in body bags, 
that's going to be bad for the legitimacy of his regime because he can't just lock them all up and he can't just shoot them all. And it's going to have serious economic consequences for Russia, which will push Russia into China's orbit. And that means Russia becomes more of a satellite of China. And we know that the Chinese regime is not is neither benign nor particularly kind to its satellites. So trying to signal that Look, there's the military option is not a preferred option for Putin to achieve what he wants. So I think he's dithering. You mentioned China. Many have suspected that uh, the Chinese government, uh, which is hosting the Olympics, have asked Russia not to proceed with any invasion or incursion into Ukraine until after the Winter Games have concluded. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, so... If you look at 2008, and um, we had the uh, we had the uh, basically uh, the conflict in Georgia to coincide with the Olympics, 2014, Crimea and the Donbass to coincide with the Olympics. So there is a bit of a pattern here. In part, I think because Putin is trying to distract from uh, Russia not having sort of an official showing at the Olympics, and of course further embarrassment since the Russians still can't contain their uh, their doping program, as we've all sort of recently seen. And so you know, I think there's part of a deflection sort of uh, effort uh, effort at work here. Um, so, but it, there's also a geostrategic issue in that the ground is only frozen between mid-February and the end of March. So Putin has a limited window to move here, but he also has a limited window strategically because the real problem for you with Ukraine for Russia is Ukraine every day after 30 years of struggle is becoming a bit more democratic, a bit more economically resilient, a bit less corrupt. So it's providing an alternative to the kleptocratic, self-interested Putin coterie uh, that's been running Russia for the last uh, almost quarter century. And so the challenge for Putin is it's not about why would he invade Russia now? The question from his perspective is, if not now, what when when is there another window of opportunity because it's only going to get harder and more difficult and so that's why i think we need to take the russian threat seriously but that's also why i think we've learned a lot from 2014 by calling out the russian moves before they actually happen so this declassification of intelligence there's a clear information war also going on here between the russian narrative and the western narrative we're talking with christian luprecht a professor at the royal military college of canada and queen's university and a fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute discussing the Russia-Ukraine crisis here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Has what the uh, NATO and American forces done in Europe, uh, including, uh, you know, delivering uh, uh, lethal weapons, defensive weapons, has all of that activity given Putin a little bit of pause in terms of his plans? Yeah, so you got to remember, of course, there is a moral obligation on the part of Western countries, if not, you know, there's not a collective defense treaty obligation, but a moral obligation in that Western countries assured Ukrainian security and sovereignty in return for Ukraine giving up its nuclear weapons. And the delivery of lethal weapons is one part of the broader deterrence strategy in sending Putin the message that this isn't going to be easy. I've spent a lot of time in the Baltic states and a general there once told me when I said to him, you know, if the Russians show up, how are you guys going to win? And he said, Christian, we don't need to win. We just need to make sure we don't lose. And I think that's the signal to Putin that it's it's that that Ukraine can make this very hard for the Russians and that it has enough backing in terms of weapons, in terms of intelligence. You know, maybe we can help a little bit in the cybersphere. So in areas that will be less visible sort of to the public that this might not be the sort of cakewalk that Putin imagines. And look, 
the Russian military is not the Soviet army. They have serious morale problems. They have serious maintenance problems. Much of the equipment that Putin is rolling up here is 40, in some cases, 50 years old. And they also have modernization problems. There's a few very good uh, special forces elements. There's some very good sort of modern rocket elements, the Iskander rockets. But a lot of the equipment is really sort of aging equipment. Uh, the Russian troops, in many ways, are not trained to 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 the degree that uh, that you would want them to if you're going to go into this war. So, hundred thousand troops on paper sounds a lot, but for a country as big as Ukraine, which also has a substantial military of its own, although not as reformed and as innovative as we would have liked it to be after seven years, is nonetheless, you know, the signal here is it's not going to be as easy as you think. Interesting stuff. Christian, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Christian Nuprecht, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute, breaking down the latest, greatest from Russia, Ukraine, uh, NATO, American forces, all uh, waiting, I guess, for the next shoe to drop. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Fully vaccinated travelers entering Canada will no longer have to take a pre-arrival molecular test, a PCR test, as of February 28th. And this certainly is the travel industry applauding the decision. Wendy Parody is the president of the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. Uh, I'm sure you and other travel agents are breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, We are. uh, We are very happy to see some steps forward to ease travel restrictions here in Canada. Uh, Of course, the big news is is that um, the pre-departure tax, uh, sorry, the pre-departure testing has moved from a molecular or PCR test to antigen. So that's going to save uh, travelers um, quite a bit of money and hassle in trying to prepare for their trips. Um, We did hope that the government would go further and actually eliminate the uh, pre-departure test altogether, um, like the UK, France, Switzerland, Denmark. So we're hoping that they make that change um, in the um, next round of uh, changes, hopefully uh, before March break. The other thing that we're very excited about um, is that uh, children uh, under 12 traveling with an adult no longer need to quarantine when they return to Canada for 14 days. That's probably the most significant uh, change um, and um, great news for families. And um, also, um, we're uh, very pleased that the avoid all non-essential travel outside of Canada advisory from Global Affairs um, has been um, removed. So um, uh, lots of good news, but we definitely have a ways to go before um, we remove um, those significant testing barriers. Do you suspect these moves by the federal government will open the floodgates just a little bit to international travel again? Uh, Well, actually, we are seeing a surge in bookings already. So as you know, it's um, been a really difficult time, particularly for families. Um, We are now into our third winter where um, they've been, you know, uh, locked down, opened up, locked down, and, uh, you know, so many extracurricular uh, sports and programs have been cancelled. So um, as soon as the announcement was made, actually when the announcement was um, hinted at um, 
last week, we actually saw uh, bookings start to come through, uh, in particular uh, for winter travel and um, lots of families uh, wanting to travel for March break. What's the most popular spot that people are booking for? Well, we're in the middle of winter here in uh, Canada, so uh, definitely we're seeing southern United States, uh, so Florida, uh, Southern California, those types of destinations, and of course the Caribbean and Mexico. Sounds about uh, nice right about now with an impending storm barreling towards uh, southern Ontario. Wendy, really appreciate the time. Uh, Best of luck in booking uh, many, many trips in uh, the weeks and months ahead. Thank you very much. Wendy Parody is the president of the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies. Yes, the uh, rapid antigen test, much cheaper than the PCR test, especially if you're traveling with, well, as a couple, uh, maybe a family of four or five or whatever the case is, a uh, big cost save and a big uh, hassle save. You're, you're, you know, that, that frustration, that anxiety, the apprehension all being wiped away by some of these measures. And hopefully we can continue that momentum. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Are we ready to pay more and more and more and more and more for stuff? Well, yeah, apparently so, because Canada's inflation rate has now risen to 5.1%. What does that mean for Canadians? Well, here to help break it down is Brett Chang, the co-host of the Pink Daily which you can hear uh, weekdays here on 900 CHML at 727 and 427 in the afternoon. Brett, good morning. How are you today? Morning, Rick. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. What is happening with inflation? Well, it's a bit of a perfect storm right now. So we have supply chain imbalances, which are making it more expensive for the inputs of the goods that are being made that we consume. And then you've got uh, you've got crisis in Eastern Europe, and that's increasing the price of energy and gasoline. Uh, and you have this record stimulus spending and all that put together has made Canada's inflation uh, hit 5.1%, which is the highest it's been since 1991. So this is obviously impacting the pocketbook of every Canadian. You go to you know the, uh, the gas station, you go to the grocery store, you go to the, your favorite restaurant, you're paying more for everything. Well, that's right. And grocery bills are actually rising the quickest of all. They went up 6.5%, and that's the fastest pace since 2009. And it's even worse in the U.S. So what is happening differently there? Is it just because their economy is much more bigger? Yeah, there's a number of different dynamics that happen between, you know, for us versus the U.S. It's the size of the economy. It's the demand for goods. It's the different ports and how busy they are and shipping costs. And so that's just the only difference. But they're both still rising at a, at a pretty quick pace. Brett Chang is the co-host of The Peak Daily. You can check out the podcast in your favorite podcast catcher. Find more information online as well. Readthepeak.com. Um, inflation, uh, the worker shortage, supply chain issues affecting places like Tim Hortons, which have announced that, yeah, sometime soon prices are going to go up. Um, do you expect other places to follow suit? Yeah, I think so. And Tim Hortons in particular, they came out in their last earnings report and they said, that because of the labor shortage, they've had to reduce the amount of menu items available and many of the operations that the stores do because they can't get enough staff in there. And so that plus the supply chain issues, plus inflation, uh, prices will definitely start to go up. And I, I'm starting to see it as well. I, I went to a fast food restaurant yesterday and I saw a sign saying that they're going to have to increase prices because the cost of goods that they're buying to produce the food is going up. Speaking of Tim, they had a pretty good fourth quarter. Can we um, surmise that Justin Bieber and the Tim Biebs was a big reason? <laughs> I think that's definitely a part of it. But really, the, what's happening is that people are starting to go back to the office. And people start going back to the office. That means they're going out to Tim's before and they're buying a breakfast sandwich and a coffee. And that's really what's boosting their, their revenue now.
Uh, on today's uh, Peak Daily podcast, uh, you guys are diving into uh, things like Shopify, cryptocurrency, uh, Google app tracking. Uh, with the cryptocurrency, we've seen Bitcoin price, uh, for example, go up and down. It continues to be a roller coaster. Do you get the sense that any stability is going to be on the horizon? Well, that's the hope. A lot of the cryptocurrency's strongest advocates say that they want Bitcoin to be the digital gold. It's a safe asset that when things like inflation happen, you can move your money into Bitcoin and you can kind of count on that to be a hedge against inflation. That hasn't been the case so far, but there's still hope that it will at some point decouple from the rest of the economy. But up until recently, it's been very volatile. And so it's really tough to predict. And with Shopify, I mean, here's a company that, you know, all of its employees are working from home. It has had a fantastic run during the pandemic, especially early on in the pandemic. But it's not all roses. Well, that's right. Despite beating all analyst expectations and having a great last quarter, they did give advisory in their earnings report that growth is expected to slow. And because of that, the stock tanked yesterday. And it's a real question of, Shopify really rode the e-commerce boom. Can that continue to last? Can they continue to produce those results when more people are going back into stores to shop? Good stuff. Brett, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks, Rick. Brett Chang is the co-host of The Peak Daily. You can hear it weekdays here on 900 CHML at 727 AM, 427 PM. Download the podcast in your favorite podcast catcher, and you can also find out more information online, readthepeak.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, Tim Horton's parent company, known as RBI, Restaurant Brands International, warning there may be menu price hikes coming at the iconic Canadian coffee and donut chain. So let's dive into this. Bruce Winder is a retail analyst and an author and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Bruce. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Thanks good. for having me on. How, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Should coffee and donut lovers be worried? Well, you know, it depends how you look at it. I mean, Tim's announced that there could be some price hikes coming. And, uh, you know, to be honest, it's not a big surprise. Because if you look around at the grocery store, certainly if you look at the gas pumps and uh, housing and a number of other categories, we're seeing some pretty big inflation right now in Canada. So is that the main factor? It's just the inflation rate or is it the is the worker shortage contributing to this, the supply chain? All of the above. I mean, that that's really sort of what's driving the inflation. If you look at wage increases, a wage shortage right now, specifically in in the restaurant uh, service area, um, there's supply chain increases. Um, there's uh, in cost increases as it relates to raw materials and ingredients. Um, you know, there's all kinds of uh, increases uh, across the board, and they're not the only ones who are doing it. I mean, if you look around, you're seeing quite a bit of increase there. But it could be a bit of a shock. You know, it all adds up, and we all love our Tims every day, right? So, I mean, it, it kind of hits our pocketbook when you start to notice these things after a while. Now, there's a fine line in terms of, you know, announcing or, I guess, uh, you know, throwing out that trial balloon that, hey, get ready for this, uh, you know, minor sticker shock. Um, whenever, you know, Restaurant Brands International or Tim Hortons or whatever the case is, is thinking about a price hike, they have to measure that price hike knowing that, you know, a lot of other things are costing a lot more. So is this price hike going to be lower than past price hikes? Uh, I think it's going to be a little higher than past prices really? because we're at a we're at a pretty big uh, inflationary period. We're running about five percent. It was just announced in January it was about five, 
December was high for us. So in the U.S., it's even worse. It's like seven and a half percent. So this is inflation we haven't seen in 30 years. And, uh, you know, you know, sometimes Tim's may increase their prices a couple percentage here and there, as everyone's does. But, you know, this time it's going to be bigger, I would anticipate anyways, um, just because we're in that environment right now. And if you look around, I mean, it's happening basically everywhere. Um, so there's really it's, there's not a lot of categories right now that aren't seeing inflation. Bruce Winder is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Bruce is a retail analyst and author of the book Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19. It's uh, certain that other restaurants are going to follow suit, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, what usually once one starts, they follow. But, you know, I think some of them have already started, especially if you're a small restaurant. You've had no choice. You've had to just increase your prices as you went, as you went because there has been real material increases in, in cost to do business here. So, yeah, you're going to see it across the board. And it's starting to add up, you know, at restaurants, too. And that's why I think more people are sort of eating at home now, right? Because they say, look at the sticker shock and even eating at home is hard because you go and you you go to the the grocery store and you see so there's really no way to escape it. You know, people are just sort of consuming less, less or getting rid of maybe uh, buying discretionary items. And certainly wages haven't kept up with this inflation, right? So that's the dilemma was we lose some purchasing power. Is it understandable to think that Tim's might lose a little bit of business because of this price hike? People might be saying, you know what, it's getting too expensive. I'm just going to brew my coffee at home. I think they're probably going to be okay because most of their items are low ticket and they're what they call, um, you know, habitual items in marketing. So, you know, even if you increase coffee 5%, it's not going to be the end. You know, it's not the end of the day. You don't see it as much. You don't think it as much. And you're going to protect that coffee. You're still going to get that coffee because you need it or that uh, food. But, you know, you'll probably see other people uh, lose a bit of volume, you know, higher ticket restaurants and things like that. will probably see a bit of a volume drop. Yeah, you mentioned the term low ticket. In comparison, Tim's is rather affordable to places like Starbucks. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're a bit of a different customer, but yeah, um, definitely, you know, it's a lot cheaper. You might see people sort of go to Starbucks a little less because it is more discretionary. You know, I need caffeine, but do I need to pay four bucks or three bucks for a coffee? Well, maybe not. I'll go to Tim's and pay, you know, a buck or two. Bruce Winder is our guest, retail analyst and author of Retail Before, During and After COVID-19. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. When should we expect some relief from these high inflationary uh, uh, outcomes? Well, I think it's going to be a while. I mean, I think that the central bank has, uh, the Bank of Canada signaled there's going to be several rate increases starting in March. Um, but, you know, the Bank of Canada can only control so much of these cost increases. Normally, you would increase in interest rates, and that would sort of help with inflation. And it will a little bit, but a lot of these cost increases in inflation is structural that has a lot, has really nothing to do with the Bank of Canada. Um, they're supply chain oriented, they're worldwide commodity oriented, wage oriented. So I think it's going to be at least a year till you see some relief. And then you're going to be at a higher base, you know, where the, even if you're, you're lower inflation of one or 2%, which is the Bank of Canada target, you're still off a higher base than you were before. Certainly, you're not going to see prices drop, you know, when's the last time you've seen anyone drop prices? Never, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, these are here to stay for a while. Bruce, always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks very much. That is Bruce Winder, retail analyst and author of the book Retail Before, During and After 
COVID-19. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.